fortnightly nature, artificial intelligence, and infinite squash. In this episode, Don, Scott Nicholson, and Bob Wyman talk all about identifying plants, birds, and gardening. Hey, if you like what you hear and you'd like to support us, you can go to patreon.com slash obg. Everything that comes in from there goes to cover our monthly podcasting costs, which we appreciate. Thanks. Welcome to another episode of the Inverse Genius Fortnightly. I'm Donald Dennis, and I'm thrilled to be here with uh, a couple of old friends. Uh, first, we'll start with one of the co-founders of what has become Inverse Genius, co-host of the On Board Games episodes, uh, Professor Scott Nicholson. You know, I was going to correct you when you said old friends, but then uh, at work the other day, someone asked me, what's your timeline? I said, what <laughs> timeline? They said, how long till you retire? Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, funny part is um, I, I knew. So there you go. You- <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. Um, but uh, where, where can you be found, Scott, that you want to be found? Uh, easiest way is on Twitter at S. Nicholson or uh, Facebook at Professor Scott Nicholson. Or if you're driving. Uh, go north to Ontario, and uh, once you cross over Niagara Falls, go. Whoa, whoa! Too much, too much information. We don't want them to find you physically. <laughs> this is all online. Ah, okay. Um, so you didn't specify uh, that. I was going to yeah, try to make some yeah. friends and put people to weeding in my gardens. Oh, okay. Well, that's a different issue. If you've got a service <laughs> position open, I still can't help you. Uh, <laughs> but I am the least educated person in this entire group because my other friend that I'm bringing on is Professor Bob Wyman. Yes. Technically, I'm a teaching assistant professor. I'm not a full professor. They're they're bigger and more full. Oh, that would explain the beard differential. We look at Scott's beard. I'm a full big, professor, therefore white I have a full beard. And beard yes, just there. Then you've got sort of the uh, the the big goat beard going on, and I've got a nice trim little beard with touches of gray. I still don't know how come my hair is not all white when I'm even older than Scott here, but. Uh, Maybe related to being a full professor. Is, uh, oh, yeah. I guess that could be that. <laughs> it could be that. Well, or the closer you live to Santa Claus, because you know both of you are also to the north of me. Uh, so, Bob, where would you like to be found on the social internet? Uh, I'm Bob Wyman on Twitter. That's a good way to reach me. If you happen to be on Board Game Geek, even though this is not a podcast about board games, I'm Scoliologist, and I like that one. Nice. Just like it sounds. <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Well, uh, before we jump into whatever our primary topics are going to be, and it sounds like we've got some good ones lined up, is there anything that you've been watching or listening or reading lately that you just want to throw out a quick, hey, this is a thing, or or a touchback to some of our previous stuff that we've discussed on other episodes? Bob, we'll start with you. I uh, saw Ms. Marvel, which is the new of the many Marvel properties out there, but I've seen episode one, and I'm pretty, pretty hyped for it. That is a lot of fun. I sat there and I enjoyed it all the way through because it's another fresh sort of, hey, high school drama, comedy. I don't know exactly what, but uh, I'm like, this is not at all designed for me or produced with me specifically in mind, but it's still good and I enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was great. I thought uh, Kamala Khan is one of my favorite superheroes in recent times. And I think they did a really great job of of bringing the feel from the comic to to the screen. Right. 
And Scott, I know that you're a fan of many things Disney. Have you watched the Marvel stuff on so the Disney I, Plus? I did watch Miss um, Marvel after that. I saw that you two had watched it. Now, I don't know anything about it. I know very little about comics in general. And I couldn't wait for it to be over. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I really don't care. Can we get to like the superhero stuff? This is like teen angsty. She's being grounded. And I, I, I really care nothing about any of this. Um, but I, I think that might be uh, common in what I'm seeing coming out of Disney because I also watched Obi-Wan, which might as well be called, you know, little precocious Leia. Um, because I don't know if you've seen Obi-Wan, uh, but... I have. Oh, Leia is the gosh. only good thing about that entire thing. And then and then nothing, if you ask me, because I'm just like, would you shut up? You know? So I, I, just, <laughs> I, have, I, I, I really ran out of patience for that one because it just was like I, I didn't tune in to see this. But and anyway, that's grumpy old Scott complaining about, you know, uh, shows designed for kids that he didn't like. <laughs> that's... <laughs> That's fair. That's, Too that's much fair. Kids. Got it. <laughs> yes. So what I liked about uh, Miss Marvel particularly was all the use of the chalk graffiti style art that flashed all over the backgrounds. And so, I mean, I thought the acting was great. Uh, the banter was good. The, you know, uh, sort of look into different culture, you know, Pakistani American was, was all marvelous, but the, just the use of art that sort of, you know, tagged back to the end of the spider verse where they used art in spectacular ways there that I just really thought that that was all neat. And I can't wait to see how it goes. And the fact that they managed to do stretchy body parts without making them look just dumb as all get out. Because every time you see Mr. Fantastic stretching in anything, uh, he looks kind of horrible. Well, so. and this this might be one of those situations where less is more, right? The, yes. If if they do it every episode, by the fifth time, you're going to be like, mm, yeah, same stretchy arm. I've seen that before. Right, right, right. Well, I mean, it was more of a uh, Green Lantern style effect instead of, hey, hey, I'm stretching myself. But let's not get too spoiler on that. I enjoyed it. Can't wait to see the rest of what happens. Feels like, though, it might not be a Scots sort of thing. I don't see going back for episode two. Well, I'll let you know if it picks up. And I think that this is a more your style of, of deal. And until then rest easy. But I guess even though it wasn't for you, did you think it was well-made or just, it was a failure on all points uh, for me. It's, I think because I didn't know anything at all going into it. I, it was mm. a whole lot of where, what's, what is happening? What is this show? I, I thought this was like superhero stuff. And so uh -huh. I think that's because the other super like Loki and the other superhero things they've done were all from episode one, superhero stuff. And uh, this one was Oh, except for WandaVision was not superhero stuff in episode one. That was weird. Yes. Yes, yes it was. <laughs> yeah. I loved WandaVision for its weirdness. And in, in a way, this is... Yeah, I, I can understand if you were expecting a superhero show and everything else comes in with that already, except maybe Moon Knight. Mm. Moon Knight was a little bit kind of building up a lot in the first. Yeah. Season. So my thoughts moving forward on Disney stuff with Star Wars is just expect it to be horrible and be pleasantly surprised when there are parts of it you like. And that seems to be, be the key to me liking it because I'm like, I'm not going to like this. Then I ended up kind of liking it. So hooray. But with the Marvel stuff, is ignore that it's a Marvel property and go, this is obviously a teen high school sort of drama. 
Am I interested in that? Yes, then I will watch it and I will enjoy the superhero stuff in it. Or I like weird Egyptology sort of mysticism and, you know, God's sort of thing. Then uh, Moon Knight's the thing for me. I like action stuff. Then you got the Captain, you know, Winter and the or Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Because Marvel seems to be doing the, we're going to scatter to all five corners of, you know, or all the different genres. And we're going to make genre pieces that just happen to be superheroes. And and I like that better than, hey, we're just going to make the, the Infinity Stones episodes over and over again. So I don't want to go too far afield, but I'm with you, right? There's definitely the case that Marvel has taken to making genre movies that happen to be with superheroes as some of the characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I also happen to have been, I'm, I'm reviewing a book about uh, women in comic books and it did a review of several genres from the golden age of comics. And one of the areas that I don't know has been really investigated is, is romance comics. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if they'll, I mean, I guess in a way WandaVision is about, a romance, but I don't feel like it was a romance show at all. Right. No, I, I think that we've got a little ways before they focus on that, but, but who knows? I mean, the new She-Hulk thing could have romance in it. Who can say? I love She-Hulk too. They're, they're clearly not trying to aim at, at Scott, but they are trying to aim at, you know, what weird characters Bob likes. He likes She-Hulk and he likes Ms. Marvel. He liked Captain Marvel. Let's find another. If they make the spider woman, I'm sold on the whole franchise. Mm, gotcha. Well, cool. Uh, I guess another thing I want to talk about uh, moving on from the Disney show is laser cutting stuff. Previously, Eric and I did a big episode on makerspace laser cutters and all that. At work, we finally got our thunder laser working to replace the glowforge that we have. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, and it sounds too funny. <laughs> the thunder laser, and uh, yeah, so we have given it the name Thor, of course, because I didn't have the urge to be creative when we were naming it. But uh, so for the first while, we had it; it wouldn't work. And for nearly a month, we were trying to get it fixed. We finally got it fixed, and then it worked for about three weeks, and then I broke it. Actually, we don't know that I broke it, but it is now non-functional again, but that'll be fixed. I will be getting the piece in and repairing it myself on Monday. It should be back to working great. It is so fast. It is amazing. It has so many cool features that uh, I'm just once again in love with laser cutting wood and projects and acrylic and all these different things. And so, yeah, if you want to come and see both the Glowforge at work and the Thunder Laser at work, you can still come to my library and see it until the end of the summer when I'll be sending the Glowforge off to another one of our branches and then they can have it there. So could so. you summarize why you were unhappy with the Glowforge? All right. Lots of reasons I was, okay. I loved the Glowforge while I had it and I was using it, but there are a bunch of reasons that I dislike it. One is, is it was not designed to be easy to clean. All right. And since you've got to clean it a little bit every day and at least once a month, you should give it a good thorough cleaning once a week if you're running it for eight hours a day uh, mm-hmm. over the course of the summer. You've got to basically disassemble it and snap everything back together. And so it was a pain for that. It's an underpowered laser for the amount that you're paying for it. It is also, so that means it's moving slower. The ventilation on it is horrible with the built-in fans. So we actually yanked out the fan that was in there and had to physically clip out 
a grate that was in the back because it kept filling up with uh, gunk and dust and tar or whatever it is that gets burnt up and put an inline fan to point it out to the, to the outside world because the f- air filter that you could buy with it, which is a thousand dollars lasts about 24 hours worth of cutting. And then you have to replace the filter inside of it for, you know, another, I don't know, several hundred dollars. I don't know how much it is. Cause we decided just not to use the filter that we bought and except for when we're touring it to the other branches. Um, it is online use only. You have to get your files together, put it over the internet, Ugh. get it down to their machine, which is a little tetchy and incredibly slow. And every time you want to make a print, you have to do that thing. With a Thunder Laser, you can send it over to the machine once. And I think you can even use an SD card, but we have it hooked up so that it's a direct line from the computer to there. You send it there, and then you can just push print the file, take the board out, take all the stuff out, put another thing, print the file again, and it goes so much faster. And it also has, and this is the dumbest thing that I love about it, um, light stand that comes up on top that's a red light means it's you know currently cutting um and green light means hey i'm done with the print you can now come and get the stuff out so you know what's going on uh because they are not kidding around with the ventilation or the water cool system that's part of it and it makes a little bit of noise so you can't always tell you know when it's done just by sound and but it is rocket fast and also you can do much larger things so if not only is the bed larger, but it's deeper. So you could put a small chest in there and just engrave the top instead of, Hey, I've got a half an inch of clearance. Yay. So neat. um, The, uh, the Glowforge is if you're looking for one that is really easy to get started with, you're not intending to do anything terribly structural or, you know, or thick, you can, you can certainly get a lot of stuff out of it, but if you're going to pursue it at any length, go for, something different right now. I'm saying thunder laser next month. I might be saying Omtech. uh, you know, don't, this isn't an advertisement just for the thunder laser, but look for the features you're looking for, decide the kind of stuff you want to do. Um, but if you're looking for the Apple generic Apple products of things, that's the, the Glowforge. but they're going to control what you're doing. And if you want it to do anything above the base level stuff, you have to subscribe to their monthly thing to get the software that lets you put a line down without having to go into illustrator or something, make a line and then upload it. So that's it. Yeah. I didn't realize it was software control. That makes it very uninteresting to me. We have a Chinese uh, brand or off brand giant laser cutter that uh, mm-hmm. was about six, five years old, six years old now, uh, water cooled. And yeah, that's the, the one thing about when you get the water cooler and the air compressor running, um, there's so much noise that it generates that you can't really hear the laser. Cause I have a separate air compressor that I have to have uh, hooked into it as and then the separate water cooler and then a giant laser. So it's pretty powerful. Um, we actually have ours ventilated. It, it's in a chemistry lab that you, mm, uh, or a nice. building that you, that's actually why it's why I have it in that room. It was a chemistry lab. They weren't teaching chemistry anymore, but it had chem- the chemistry ventilation hood. And I said, Hey, can we hook into that? because it already had significant uh, power to draw out bad stuff and send it outside and was already. So that's actually why that, why it is where it is. That's great. But I haven't used it since COVID times because I haven't been doing much at school and I've been on sabbatical the last year. So I'll be curious when I come back, if it'll even start up. Well, it should. The the most important thing is after a long weekend or months of disuse is make sure there aren't any air bubbles in the water cool system. Yeah. And just probably run the water cooler for a while and let that, 
yeah. get happy. It's yeah. We've got a, a process that we get to go through just to make sure. Um, but it's that, that exact same kind of thing. So, um, love it. It's still a great tool. Next thing I hope to get is a CNC router thing instead of that. And then my room will never smell the same again. It will no longer <laughs> smell like teens and fire, you know, right now it smells like either teens or a campfire. Um, yeah, I have a boxed up CNC router unit that has been waiting for me in the lab again for about two years um, that I need to assemble. Same reason, because to help deal with the smell, to help deal with uh, all the fumes and all that. I mean, the laser cutter, I've preferred using it over the 3D printer anytime I can because it's faster. It doesn't, it requires a lot less maintenance, I find, than the 3D printer does. Um, mm-hmm. I'm much more likely to get what I want on the first go with the laser cutter than I am on the 3D printer where it's like try five or six, maybe I'll get what I want. So I always try to use the laser cutter when I can, but the, getting the CNC up and going is going to be my next uh, adventure. So we have gotten both of our laser cutters through grants, right? And the first one was part of the Google CS First grant where we were saying, you know, look, this is computational thinking. We're teaching them how to use a computer to do these things. And I mean, it was tenuous when I first came up with the idea of, hey, can I spend money on this? But the more we got into it, the more it actually fit that process. And then and then with this one, we were trying to get this one talking to our grant organization. They were like, well, we what's the better between this and 3D printing? And I'm like, well, if someone comes in and we want to teach them something and have them take something home that they've created, yep. we can do that in 15 minutes. All right. And we could do a whole classwork room full of people in half an hour. And if you design something for a 3D printer, it's going to take longer than 15 minutes to design it. Whereas with most laser cutters, you can uh, say, draw a thing. We will then send it to the file, put a medallion around it. And then you have a cool thing that you can take and hang on your wall at home or whatever, uh, you know, or build a box and put that, put that image you've created on the box or what have you. And so just the ability to make and take, is is brilliant and, and the speed my sister it creates yeah. that you can you'll have it done in three minutes you know <laughs> and to make something as similar speed with the, the 3d printer you're going to be you know an hour to make something thin so yeah i agree mm-hmm. people people can think in 2d much more quickly than they can think in 3d and with the laser cutter you just draw something a 2d something and we'll cut it out they get that faster than you have to visualize a 3d space yeah, well, and and what and the bang for your buck, right? Like, if what you wanted was this this gorgeous little figurine that was, then that's one thing. But fundamentally, most of the stuff we build, we build out of two D shapes already. So mm-hmm. it's it's not a leap to make. A, mo- most practical things are going to be constructible out of laser cut items faster then you're going to even be able to come up with a 3D printable item that does the same sort of thing. Well, you came to Sheshcon and got to design your own box, right? That's I, with your fancy art. I did. It was awesome. And I, I can attest that Donald is not lying. 15 minutes at, at a stretch gets you a cool box that you can glue together and, and hold your dice in. Whereas yesterday uh, when I was at work, I was like, I'm going to start this print because we're trying to build a village. And I was like, all right, I'm going to start this 3d printer piece. Oh, it's going to take three days and nine hours to print this thing. (laughs) Yep. yep. Like, fine. I'll start it on, on Monday before close of business. It might be available, but probably it'll be Tuesday. 
two hours in, I look over and I'm like, oh, that print has failed. Yeah. You know, the, the biggest problem with I've ever had with a laser cutter besides uh, what just recently happened was I forgot to plug the fan into the outdoors. And so the room filled up with smoke, which, you know, you'd think is a bad thing, but compared to, um, hey, my print head has destroyed itself on a, on a 3D print, mm-hmm. which has happened. Yep, um, too. It's happened you know, to me. So, but anyway, so this isn't all about the, the laser cutter. I just wanted to give an update to say, hey, I finally got my big fancy laser and we've got another grant. So I'm going to roll out to other libraries this uh, by the end of the year. So that'll be fun and exciting. But hooray. So uh, did anybody else have something you want to talk about our previous discussions or just something you want to throw out there real quick to the listeners? Or shall we go on to our primary topics? I'm happy with primary stuff. All right. Well, you spoke up, Bob. So, hey, what do you want to share with our listeners? Well, sort of by by way of a segue, um, Mm. uh, I had been on Disney Plus and a <laughs> and it came up and recommended a movie to me uh, that is the big the big year which I had mm. never heard of and I was surprised I had never heard of it because it's got Jack Black in it it's got Steve Martin in it it's got Owen Wilson in it um it has Rashida Jones and Diane Weist and and Rosamund Pike it's got a ridiculous panoply of stars and it's this cozy little movie about bird watching um essentially all of the the characters that i've described uh, some of them are are spouses and girlfriends and uh fiancés and and so forth but um it's sort of a jack black is a a guy who lives with his parents and he's crazy into bird watching and it takes off from there and mm-hmm. Um, I was staying with my in-laws and said, huh, you guys have lots of birds at your feeders. I used to know what birds were. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I looked around to see if there was an app that would help me sort of identify these birds so that I could, you know, be the educated naturalist dad who says, oh, that there, that's your cedar waxwing, son. You should learn that. Um mm. And it turns out uh, there's there's an app for that. You you don't need a, a smart parent who grew up in the forest or something. Um, there's a, a app called the Merlin Bird ID, like Merlin, like the the wizard is the mm-hmm. thing. If you search for it, and it's made for someone who knows nothing about birds. You don't need much in the way of skills to be able to at least see some birds. And and the thing that I really get a kick out of is you can click on sound ID and just start recording and it will record whatever environment you're in and try to recognize bird songs in it. And it'll just sort of pop up and say, oh yeah, that there's a cardinal. And then later on, you'll hear a little tweet tweet or a little squawk and it'll say, hey, that there's a blue jay. And Sometimes you can see the birds and sometimes you can't, but it it's fascinating. And that's super that's simple. That's cool. Well, rolling back real quick to the to the big year, I watched that with Connie over the course of the pandemic. I don't remember when, but I thought it was much more recent than 2011 movie when I saw it. Though I guess Jack Black is getting old, so I should have known better. Um, but no, that was a neat movie. Very, you know, very 
non-stressful sort of a casual fun watch. I, I, I liked it. So. Yeah, it was interesting and it's, it's, it's almost made for TV in a way. I, that's not literally true. There were scenes right. that made me think, you know, if this was on a big screen, you would really get that feeling of being outside and looking at this huge, you know, range and seeing the, the birds soar around it. But in terms of sort of plot, it's it's just this cozy little, nothing's going to be too tense. There's no scenes of peril. Uh, bird watching is not that kind of hobby. <laughs> Stakes were thoroughly managed, right? Yeah. You know, that's right. So uh, I will say that uh, I have never gotten into bird watching and it, it doesn't seemed like the kind of thing I would get into, but a couple of podcasts I listened to, some of the folks on those are bird watchers. And one of them was talking is like, when you're getting started in this as a hobby, one of the things you're going to have to be aware of is that when you first start a new thing, and particularly true with bird watching, I'm sure it's true with most hobbies, a lot of the times you're looking at something and you don't know enough about the hobby to know what you're actually looking at. So you'll see get people who are new to a hobby, they learn that, oh, X bird is incredibly rare and hasn't been seen, you know, in a hundred years are going to more likely spot a false positive for that kind of bird than say, no, no, it's just a young version of this other bird or something like that. So to have an app that's going to help you sort of dive into it and hopefully identify the right song and, and get better pictures. And I assume it tells you, oh, these are some of the traits or places where you're likely to find it that, that that's all very exciting to sort of help folks get past their own uh, novice excitement. Well, and I have a little story about that. Oh, um, okay. One is uh, Merlin dr- pushes hard for the likelihood, you know, it's not looking for zebras. It's looking for horses. So mm-hmm. if you say, uh, I just saw this bird right here, it'll say, okay, what size is the bird about this big? What was the main color you saw about this? Um, what was the bird doing? And you choose that. And it'll say, uh, the bird's probably one of these. And it'll give you six options. And none of them are, you know, an exotic bird from South America. They are all <laughs> a thing that you probably saw in Virginia. And it will conscious and it will be fairly narrow in that. Uh, I, I was at this, I was at my in-laws in Maryland. It knew I was in Maryland. And they had a hummingbird. And hummingbirds go through Maryland, but they, it was early in the season for hummingbirds. So Merlin did not, you know, did not give me the option of spotting this hummingbird. Mm-hmm. But, but that was just clever because they sort of say it has a little ID thing that says, did you see a bird that's not on this list? Well, maybe, maybe you didn't <laughs> check, <laughs> be careful. <laughs> and uh, if you think so, you can go to this other app which is by the same people this is uh the cornell lab of ornithology that mm-hmm. do these um called ebird and ebird is is sort of the bird watching app for bird you know that's made for real live bird watching if you're actually going to uh go to a place and look for birds on purpose ebird is a is there to let you document your you know everything you spotted and apparently it is it is somewhat peer reviewed if you say hey i found this incredibly exotic weird weird bird in the middle of virginia uh there will be people that live near it that will get a ping that say 
do you think this guy really saw it or do you think that he's full of it? <laughs> and, uh, huh. and they, like it will say, you can document the bird, document your sighting, give as much detail as you can. These are the kind of useful details, not the kind of less useful details. Um, and they will either go ahead and say, no, that probably was right. Or they can contact you and send you a little message saying, hey, I'm the local bird expert. I heard you saw this bird. Can you tell me about the circumstances so that I can either get some verification or decide that it probably was, like you say, uh, an immature pigeon, not (laughs) (laughs) Not an exotic hummingbird. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, Cornell has been. Uh, this is this this lab is world known for its work uh, with uh, with bird sounds, and, and so I knew about them before, well before the internet, because we would do tours of their audio library. So they have extensive libraries of audio sounds. They've put that all online. So now you can go onto the Cornell lab and go online and listen to thousands and thousands and thousands of recordings that they've made. And they use that to build up Merlin. Um, I first discovered Merlin just a few weeks ago. Um, So we live out in the country and we have a large barn and the barn is basically a birdhouse. Uh, (laughs) Looks like a big birdhouse. And we have a lot of birds that overwinter there. So we feed them. In fact, I just finished putting up my raspberry netting of plus one against birds uh, (laughs) today to uh, keep them because they are everywhere. But I hadn't known about Merlin and said, you know, I'm curious what we've got here. And they were quite active. It was as the sun was going down when they get a little chirpy. And so then I, you just push sound ID and hold it out and watch. And it, it shows you a little sound wave and then pops up the name as it hears each one. And then if one chirps again, it'll highlight it again. So it helps you to really identify, oh, that's the robin. And that's, you know, we have three kinds of sparrows and starlings and robins and orioles and all this stuff. And it's, it's cool to, I, to you can use it to learn their sound because as you're sitting there listening in the real world, it it highlights on the screen that sound again and again. So it works really well. Now I know. Oh, that's that's what the robins sound like. So I, I highly recommend if you've got if you have the ability to hear birds. In fact, what we're in my window right now where I'm recording, I open the window and held it out, and there's a robin out there. Yep, 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 and away. And <laughs> Merlin nice. told me that. So if you hear birds, load up Merlin. The way it does the regional stuff is when you load it up, you tell it where you are or it'll detect where you are and it will load up only the sounds from birds that should be in your region. So it doesn't bombard your phone with a bunch of data from all of their library. It only bombards it with the area where you live so that it's it, the app is smaller than it would normally be. Right. If there are over 7,500 species of birds. That's like pretty exciting. Southwestern Ontario, they only need to track so many of them. So um, it saves you on data. Not not too many equatorial birds just sort of hanging out there. Minimum yeah. of parakeets. Right. Well, neat. Bob, do you have anything else about your wonderful bird tracking app? Um, no, I think we covered it. Uh, I want to echo Scott. It's, there's something fascinating of like, it's showing you the sound wave and you hear it and it says, yep, that one's a cardinal. It's like having a little expert next to, to you saying, you hear that one? That's what that is. Neat. Then you get to be the annoying expert to everyone else to be like, oh, you hear that? That's a Robin. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll continue the theme of nature and using artificial intelligence to help us be better in our natural world. 
Nice. I've been growing quite a bit of stuff here out where we live. And when you, if you've ever moved to a a place that has a yard or a garden, uh, one of the fun challenges is your first year, it's the game of weed or flower. Um, Because, (laughs) you know, early on, all these green things pop up and you're like, uh, do I pick it? Do I leave it? Uh, What is it? So, I, I failed at that with one of the things that came up. I left it up and I'm like, oh, look, that's like pretty purple flowers. And uh, then the next, uh, I, I decide, well, I'll pull it out. And there were thousands of little pretty purple flowers growing in the area where it was. And I'm now four years in and I'm still picking out all the little seeds that I let when I let that one go to flower and it was spread out everywhere. And I'm like, okay, I need to do better. And so I, I downloaded a tool called plant.net. Now there's several plant identification tools you can get for your phone. The new OS uh, from Apple has it built in. Apparently you can take a picture Mm -hmm. and there's a way to actually get this information, but it's incredibly valuable if you're playing the game of, in fact, I use it just today. It's like, is is this something that I should be picking or leaving alone? And and it is most important to identify when you've got something that's going to flower and spread that you may want not want to have it flower and spread. So with PlantNet, mm-hmm. you can take a picture of a leaf and then it will show you uh, the percentage chance it is of certain things. So it's like, well, there's a 80% chance that's a calendula. There's a 15% chance it's such and such. Uh, so you can use that to figure, well, did I plant a calendula? <laughs> no. All right. Well, then maybe it's not that. Maybe it's, you know, common horseweed or whatever. I've been, my current battle has been with uh, quackweed, this quack, this grass that has these runners that run everywhere. Um, it's everywhere around here and it's invading my strawberries. So I have to get on my hands and knees and try to pick it out. And it's got these awful runners that if you leave a bit of runner, it becomes more quack grass. It just pops right back up. So... I can't, uh, not recommended, I would say, but it, it's a great, any of these, there's a number of them out there. I've used PlantNet. I've never paid for it. And I, and you up and I found it very useful in playing the, uh, weed or not game. Mm-hmm. And like you said, that's so time sensitive, right? Like, <laughs> oh yeah. If you find out it's a weed a week after it's too late. Right. Cause once it flowers and sends out thousands of seeds, then just like what happened with this one, this one thing I let to go to flower that I thought was pretty. Um, and now I'm still picking it out and uh, years later. So that's, it's important to catch it before it turns into those flowers, because that's when now it's going to spread if you don't want it to spread and it's something invasive. Hmm. So have you found anything that you thought was a weed and you go, Oh wait, this is an edible plant. Does it tell you if it's edible or, or not, even it if did, it's it, also considered a weed? All it does is it doesn't label it as weed or bad because that's actually quite judgy on plants. Um, <laughs> you know, every every plant has a purpose. This was something. So mm-hmm. um, up here at Laurier, we have an indigenous uh, garden, and because we have a large indigenous center uh, and some indigenous programs, and we have an indigenous herb garden. And one of the lessons that uh, students get when they we actually made a game related to it, um, and that was the lesson of the game is that nothing is bad. Um, every plant has value. Every plant has a purpose for being there. You may not want it in your pretty garden, but those, those dandelions that are out there are quite edible. They're nutritious. Um, you know, things that, uh, that you think might be, oh, I, I don't want that. It's like, it may have medicinal value. It may have, uh, there's, there's a purpose for that plant. So that's one thing it, anytime you see something. So in the app, it doesn't judge, it tells you the, the names and then it links you to, 
uh, three different sources like Wikipedia and a couple plant sources that you can then research to read up a little bit more about it. But yeah, when you go in, realize that this earth wants to be covered with green stuff. Any piece of land that is not uh, paved over is going to get a green thing on it. Um, and learn a little bit about what the value of that is, because it may be feeding birds, it may be feeding bees, you know, it may be something that's useful to have. Well, does it warn you like, hey, poison ivy, don't don't expose to your skin, you know, or something like that? Well, that's that's where you have to follow it up. It, it's not judgy. It just tells you what it is. And then you you can click on a button and it'll load up the website. That well, I mean, what it is is dangerous. Then I, <laughs> I would like for it to tell me that right up front. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, kudzu. Oh, yeah. we have... Such such angry feelings about kudzu here in South Carolina, but uh, yeah, yeah, garlic mustard is the big thing that's been rampaging across uh, Ontario. And just today, I saw another. They always this time of year when the garlic mustard plants are growing, you get these posts in the newspaper saying, "Please eat this, please pick <laughs> it and eat it. You can eat it. It's tasty and it's invasive, and we need everyone to consume it." <laughs> If, we, if everyone got out and ate their garlic mustard, we wouldn't have a problem. <laughs> that is what they're saying in the parks. You know, you go in the parks and it's like, if you see this plant, please pick it and you can eat it. Here's how to prepare it um, because we need it gone and it's edible. <laughs> that is exciting right there. Yeah. I, I mean, that that was sort of the question I was hoping to get to is that so many things that people consider weeds or whatever, it's just like, this is not edible for us at this point, or it is not of interest to us. Doesn't necessarily make it a bad, uh, you know, a bad plant, bad plant as opposed like milkweed. to I mean, milkweed is it's even in the name that it's a weed. And I remember, you know, tromping around and thinking that it was just overgrowing the, the lake. And it turns out that you can't have monarch butterflies without it. It's absolutely essential to them. They depend on it all, all through part of their life cycle. And, so it's not bad. It's good. Although yes. it, with, with milkweed, it is an invasive plant, so it will take over gardens. There are versions of milkweed you can get that are non-invasive. So if you're looking to, because I planted some here and did that research. Um, so if you're looking to plant some milkweed to draw more butterflies, uh, you t- do some research, whether you're getting the invasive variety or the non-invasive variety based upon where it's going to go. If you're putting it in a field, that's fine. If you're putting it in your garden, you probably want to have non-invasive milkweed because my milkweed brings the bugs to the yard. (laughs) (laughs) Don't even doubt it. Uh, But yeah, and that's great. That, that will draw in birds or, you know, other things that will eat those bugs. So sometimes good, sometimes not desirable. Well, I was going to talk about something that seems um, counter to the things that you were talking about. So I'm not going to talk about rocketry this time. Maybe I'll talk about it another time. And instead, I'm going to talk about something also related to the outside. Or actually, it's more about trying to avoid the outside that I like so much. Uh, And it's the Arrow Garden, which, you know, I've talked about various kitchen things here in the past. The uh, air fryer, the instant pot and and the next kitchen thing i'm going to really want to talk about is yawn arrow garden which is uh, the overpriced solution for uh, getting a variety of things inside that you can have it's it's gardening for people who don't want to be gardeners and the whole point of the arrow garden is it's got a grow light a nutrient tank pods that you put into it and it will then grow 
so much of whatever that is that it's kind of like the cucumber or tomato or eggplant issue with whatever it is that you're putting in there. Uh, but what I like about it specifically is like when I put in salad or salad, when I put in various types of lettuce that it's like, oh, I've got to fill up my glass with water. I'm going to go into the kitchen. I'm feeling a little snacky. Um, you know, maybe I will just have some greens. And so when I've got a crop of something growing in my arrow garden in the kitchen next to the sink there, that it's my casual, I'm going to deal with that. I feel like I should be eating feeling uh, and and do that. Unfortunately, I think mine has recently just died or I need to replace parts of it. Um, but it is an amazing thing. The ability to have all year round some sort of... Uh, fresh vegetation in your house. And I, I learned this from Scott many years ago when he had a table full of live flowers when I was visiting him in February that was pretty spectacular. And I was like, what is this? And he's like, that is the Arrow Garden. He seemed both incredibly pleased by it and a little annoyed by just how it was running amok all over his table. And so, Scott, are, do you still, now that you live on a farm and do actual farming, is the Arrow Garden something that you... Uh, you still use or is it an X thing? No, it's a, that is, I don't use the arrow garden because for the cost of the pods and the parts and all of that stuff, you know, I could, I can plant a, a an acre of whatever it is when <laughs> I have the land available to me. It's, it's funny looking at sort of supply chains and costs of doing things in the ground. It's like, well, I can buy a packet of seeds for a buck and a half, or mm-hmm. I can buy you know, a, a flat of 10 seedlings for a few dollars, or I can buy like four slightly larger plants for $10, or I can buy one big plant for $10, or I could buy one Aeropod pod. Um, I found with what I found with the Aeropod, I found herbs and flowers work the best. I, yes. T- tomatoes, they advertise it and you see the pictures of tomatoes and they never really worked out for me. Um, that's something that when you plant tomatoes yourself in your patio, well, that's the thing about when you grow stuff outside, you have uh, either none or infinity of <laughs> you're growing. It is a bimodal distribution to use my mm-hmm. statistics teaching language. Um, so on average, you have some of things. The reality is you either have very few of things or you have an infinite number of things, but you average them and somewhere in the middle is what you get. Uh, something I created with an arrow garden concept and something that any of you can do if you have a little bit of space and you want to do something outside is I created an herb spiral Ooh. Uh, outside. So I learned about this. They're popular in the UK. They're also popular wherever you have uh, when you don't have a lot of space. And the concept is so when you build it up, I actually have a video on YouTube of Scott the Garden Gnome showing you uh, the herb spiral. Uh, So it is a spiral that you build out of uh, bricks or rocks or something like that and spirals up into the middle. You fill it full. It's it's designed to support different cultures. So the idea is that in the base of the spiral, in the base level, you put heavy compost soil mix that's going to be well watered. And as you go up the spiral, you integrate more uh, more sand, sandy soil, more dry soil, because the higher part of the spiral is going to be drier. So you put herbs that are more from a desert climate in the top part. You put herbs that are more like that richer soil in the bottom. Also, because it has height, it creates a side that is going to be more sunny and a side that is going to be shaded more of the day. So you can use that herb spiral 
And it's quite surprising. So mine's about five, uh, five feet across. It's a, cir- so a circle spiral, five feet across. I probably kind of have 20 different herbs growing in that, in that five foot circle of space. Because if you were to strengthen that line out, that long spiral out, it would be a long run. And mm-hmm. it looks cool. Mm-hmm. And so I'd say, take a look at herb spirals. So that I can't do that because I have no outside gardening space, right? I live upstairs, uh, you know, in a, uh, a rental. So I, do, I don't have the ability to go outside and do that. So while I do think that that is probably an ideal thing is, Hey, we're going to make, make something useful and, um, you know, a little more dense that based on my living arrangements, if I want to do any kind of growing, it's the containers on the back porch, uh, which are good for part of the year, but all year long I can have stuff growing from our arrow garden. Now, one of the things that we've done is we also don't buy kitty grass for our cat. We grow our own. And so we can set that next to the herb garden and, and have that for a Claire all year round where she's got more grass than she can chomp. And now of course we also have it on the back porch and in a couple of the windows so that she will move about the house. Um, but now my question with your herb spiral is one of the problems I had with uh, doing stuff in the arrow garden is if I'm growing an aromatic herb of some type next to a type of lettuce, that that flavor, the, the Thai basil flavor or whatever it is going to be, is going to sort of also affect the other plants around it. Does that happen in the herb spiral where their flavors are going to commingle or is that not an issue? I haven't noticed that, but there's a, you know, a, there's some inches of space between each herb. So they're not all crammed up next to each other. I think also part of it is with the arrow garden, they're all sharing a tank of nutrient and that yes. also might be part of it. And so that, I guess, although in the herb spiral, they are all sharing the same soil um, in, in some way, but I, I think it's more that likely that, Hey, they're, they're two inches apart yeah. and they <laughs> get five inches big. And so they're rubbing up against each other and sort of uh, being, right. you know, plant, plant frisky. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and I think that uh, especially um, herbs depend a lot on the oils that they produce. And so if yes. one is a, essentially producing some perfumes and perfuming its neighbors, uh, you're going to notice that on an, in an indoor environment a lot stronger than herbs that are next to each other but outside. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, I mean, I have had luck with starting the little grows and the little pods underneath the, the arrow garden light. And then if it's summertime – actually putting them out on the back porch and still having them continue to grow and doing quite nicely. Uh, but I don't know. I know they, that's not what they want you to do. They're like, don't do this. Uh, but I guess you want to get it out of the arrow garden bath before the roots get entangled with the other stuff too much. Yeah. I've done something similar to that. So I, when I started seedlings, so mm-hmm. I had a, uh, a shelving unit that I set out in the sun and I had grow lights and had all the seedlings in my little, uh, so I filled pot of these seedling containers with dirt and planted seeds. This year I tried something different. I tried winter sowing. Mm-hmm. So what you do with winter sowing is you put seeds into, like I used uh, sherbet containers. And you, you put holes in the top, holes in the bottom, put a few inches of soil into it, plant the seeds just barely into the soil and water the heck out of it, put the lids on it and stick it in the snow. And you leave it outside all winter. 
So, and you don't do anything. You don't have to do anything. You just bury them in the snow. You leave them out there. Um, it gets, uh, it, water comes in from snow melt and from the rainy season. Then when you start to get into spring, it gets a little warmer. If they're not ready to plant, then you have to open the tops because they're basically tiny little greenhouses. Which mm-hmm. would, but the biggest thing it's doing is, so one of the challenges, if you do like what you did with the arrow garden or you grow your own seedlings is you have to do something called hardening off your plants. And the, because if you take it from a warm, cozy environment and you stick it into the outside environment right away, it's going to shock the plants. And a lot of them won't survive that shock. And so you go through a process where you'll put the plants out for half an hour and then bring them in for the day. And then the next day you'll put them out for an hour and bring them in for the day. And so over a couple of weeks, you slowly extend the time that they're out till they're used to that. And doing the winter sowing, you don't have to do that because they're hardened off. The seeds have, now you get a lower yield, not all the seeds produce. And what I found is of all my winter sowing containers, about two thirds of them grew and one third of them didn't. So it's a bit, I did about 20 different containers. So it's a bit of Christmas time. I, I learned it's important to label the outsides, not with Sharpie uh, because <laughs> the Sharpie goes away. Then it's like plant net, please help me out here. Um, <laughs> I used uh, fingernail polish to write the numbers on it and then had a document that told me what was what. And then my handwriting was awful because I was writing it out in the snow with gloves on. So I thought I was planting zinnias, uh, transplanting those into a pot. So I mixed them up with seeds and I think there's carrots in there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, just search for winter sowing. You'll find more information on it. Um, It's something that saves you. The biggest difference is now I didn't have to have all that equipment in the house. I just had the stuff out stuck in a snowbank and left it out there. Um, They say you can do it in any climate where the winter gets cold enough where you need a sweater. Nice. If if the nights get that cold, then winter sowing will work. You just may have to Mm. put more water if you don't have a lot of snow melt to come into it. You may have to water over the top of them uh, through the holes. But yeah, so check out winter sowing if you like the idea of trying to do some seedlings, but you don't like it all in the house. It's a way to do it. I will say if you suffer from seasonal depression, sometimes light therapy helps and having the aero garden right in, you know, the kitchen area, also near our living room where I was sort of exposed to that bright full spectrum, whatever that light is that they use, uh, the grow light uh, seemed to help that, or it may be just because I was getting more vegetables, you know, there's no telling uh, what it was, but um, it's, it worked nice. It, it is pricey. You can also make your own versions of it that are cheaper, but depending on uh, your desire for a one-stop shopping solution or the, hey, I need a thing for a gift list or a person who will like this but also can't go out and garden, then this kind of thing may be what you're looking for or not. I find it delightful. Well, I wanted to circle back to the the value you mentioned of, of giving you the grazing opportunity of mm-hmm. here, here is some green, leafy green stuff that's right there that you can grab some and eat it is – I think a pretty significant thing because obviously Scott is willing to put in the hard work that makes up for the, 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 the cheapness of the seeds, but uh, I am super lazy or I wouldn't be thinking that it would be helpful to get more greens anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> and having that be the food of opportunity is a, is a huge, you know, a simple change that could make a huge change. Well, and when you're purchasing salad in December and January and February, anything you get from the store, especially if you buy those bag salads, they turn nasty fast or come nasty, right? I mean, they're not they're not delicious, delicious food. And I did find that, you know, me 
picking a salad right now and then chopping up some, you know, uh, toasted chicken fingers on it and making my own meal with that was a huge flavor bonus than, hey, I'm getting a bag salad of sweaty uh, salad leaves or what have you. And so the, the flavor was certainly much better also, and it, and it felt fresh and, and all that. So there's there's a bunch of benefits to this kind of thing. And, and listeners, let us know what you, especially go to the Facebook group or wherever you choose to contact us. Uh, if you do, you know, watching of birds or growing of vegetables, what kind of stuff that you're talking of uh, or what you'd like to do or any recommendations for Scott's Northern Garden. Because while I like everything that Scott's talked about, he has... Well, an infinite more amount of land than I do to do these things. Um, but on the other hand, what I also have is relative warmth for all seasons where, Scott, uh, uh, how many months of the year is your land not farmable? Yeah, we get about five months of uh, intense growth. Uh, that's the big thing I noticed moving up uh, up north in Syracuse and then Canada as compared to being down south is down south. You know, when the summer comes, it gets hot and things kind of grow and it's like, yeah, we're growing up here. It's like as soon as it gets warm, nature's just like, we got a few months, let's go. And and everything just goes bushy and crazy for a few months. So they but yeah, so it's, it's about five months out of the year I can do stuff like this. So for maybe five months of the year, you should bring your arrow garden back, have have fresh stuff. The rest of the year, I have to eat all the stuff I canned. So oh. and, and dried because that's the other thing. So when you make uh, a infinite squash, well, then you learn to make dill pickles. Um, you know, and and I have pears, so I learned to can pears. And so I, I go through all my canned goods all the winter that I canned, and then I learned how to dry my herbs. Um, the barn that I have on the property was uh, for tobacco tobacco drying. So mm-hmm. the top floor of the barn, uh, when you go up there, it's actually beautiful with all the light streaming in between the boards, but it's not it's not airtight. And that's because it was designed to dry tobacco. So I can hang up all my herbs and let them dry and have then <laughs> – when you grow your own herbs and dry them, it's like infinite herbs. <laughs> that's for sure. It's like, yeah. how, much, how, how much bird poop do you have to scrape off of your dried herbs? Actually, I haven't had that much of a problem because I know where the birds like. They like to live towards the front part. So I put the uh, – I know the herbs uh, go where uh, – you you put the herbs to dry where there isn't poop and then you know you'll be okay. <laughs> you can easily identify the poop places. <laughs> I, I know that this isn't the board game podcast, but I sort of love the, the game design idea of uh, instead of you do this work, you get a cube. It's – you do this work, you either have zero tomatoes or infinite tomatoes. Or, right. you know, you, you planted these four things and three of them you have infinite supply of. And one of them you have none. And and just go from there as your, your design principle. Which kind of Agricola does that once you get into starting to to put stuff in the ground in that game, then you're like, everyone, everyone's like, I can't get a pumpkin. And you're like, I have, I am the king of pumpkins. You may, (laughs) but then the game doesn't reward that, you know, the the game was designed so that if you have infinite, it's no better than having four. Um, What happens here is we have, I think it's true in real life, right? It's like, (laughs) I have more of this than I can store or give away to friends and earn my social cred that I'm now trying to give away so much. I've lost all the credit I've just got. Gained. Zucchini, zucchini, yeah. zucchini is the monster there. But here there's a barter economy up here uh, amongst the neighbors. So we trade stuff and it's been kind of neat to uh, like my sourdough bread. I, I can, I, I can barter that for 
a lot of things. And whenever, so we actually I've started a Facebook group of all of the houses in the area. So someone's like, you know, I have more than enough uh, kohlrabi. Does anyone have any zucchini? And you make your swap. So this is uh, bartering is alive and well. Nice. When, when Nextdoor actually works as an, as an app. <laughs> it was funny uh, next door that we got all the flyers from next door in the neighborhood and people posted on the Facebook group that I started. It's like, why should we join this next door thing? We've got this Facebook group that works quite well for our street. And so, yeah, it didn't, didn't take off because we'd already actually, I did that right when COVID started, I wanted a way to be in touch with the neighbors. So I started a Facebook group and went door to door with flyers, stuck them in the mailbox and said, Hey, I've started up this group. Uh, if we want to talk to each other about things that we need and to support each other. And so it's worked quite well. Nice. Next door yeah. came oh, and you I, said, I told them we already got one. That's right. <laughs> the, the mentioning of the COVID thing, not having to go to the grocery store to get vegetables uh, right. was great because mm-hmm. in about two weeks, you can start growing a lot of stuff in your, in your arrow garden. Um, so that was nice. All right. I think we're done. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about before we you know, give our sign-offs? I, All right. I have to say, I, you have whetted my appetite towards rocketry, though, for whenever that comes out. I, yeah, we'll do that on a future episode. I just felt that uh, that this this would blend more seamlessly uh, with the rest of the thing. And maybe, hey, listeners, if you're a big rocketry person and want to come on and talk about that on a future episode, let me know. They can't see my thumbs up in excitement about it, but you guys can. So He's really excited. I am. Uh, Bob, where can you be found on the internet that you want people to find you? Uh, I'm mostly Bob Wyman. I'm Bob Wyman on Twitter, for example. And uh, I'm a scoliologist every other place, for example, on BGG. And Scott? Uh, You just go to scottnicholson.com. That's my hub for everything talked about. Uh, On YouTube, if you want to see these videos from Scott the Garden Gnome, uh, go search for Scott Nicholson there. You'll see my various playlists, and I've got my, my gardening playlist there. Excellent. And as always, I'm Donald Dennis. You can find me as Walsfew all over the wilds of the internet. Uh, head over to the Facebook and join our Inverse Genius group and talk about how you do your gardening or your bird watching. And uh, you can also head over to inversegenius.com and find out more about the, all the different shows that we have that we're a part of or that we host or whatnot. Um, and uh, I guess that's about it. Hey, guys, thanks for ta- talking with me. It's always fun chatting with Scott and Bob. Thank you. Take care. Goodbye, everybody. That's it for this episode of the Inverse Genius Podcast. The Inverse Genius Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 License. Thank you.